Well, Merry Christmas, everyone, and uh, it's great to be with you. My name's Tim, and it's uh, uh, good to have you here uh, through uh, the Internet uh, this morning. I don't know about you, but would, could you say that you need a little Christmas right now? I know I sure could. Uh, I think we all do. And it's because Christmas is such a positive holiday, uh, and it is full of good positive memories. Uh, I was thinking uh, during Thanksgiving, I was sitting at... Uh, my table, the dining room table we have, and we've had that dining room table in our family for a long, long time, or since I was a little kid. And uh, so now it's in my home. And as uh, we were eating Thanksgiving, uh, people were finding places to eat, like with grandchildren. They were all over the house. And I was sitting there for a few minutes just by myself at this table that I remember sitting at when I was a kid during Christmas. And as I looked at the empty chairs, I started visualizing uh, there's where my mom and dad would sit, and there's my grandmother, uh, my grandma Collins, and of course my grandma Gill, we called her Bobo. And uh, there were also, I would look around, and I visualized Uncle Larry and Aunt Helen Ann sitting at the table as well. And of course Ben and Sandra had, they had four kids, and so you had Susan and Lonnie and, and, and um, David and, and uh, Patrick, and we were all just running all over the place. And and that's what Christmas uh, seems to do to us, you know. I, I mean, I think about the music. I think about movies sometimes. And we do think about the Christmas tree or maybe the lights. But it seems like it's the home that we think about uh, when we think about childhood memories. And there's just something about home and Christmas that, uh, that connect, that click together. I mean, you think about it. All the reasons we get together as families get together... Uh, it's this season, this particular season, that brings us home for the holidays. And uh, when I start thinking about popular Christmas families, and especially the kind of families I can identify with, and maybe you can too when you think about Christmas families, maybe your family's like the Griswolds in Christmas Vacation. It's just a disaster waiting to happen. Or maybe it's like the Baileys. You work all year and you're running all over the place, but somehow, uh, for some reason, on a particular Christmas you experience some kind of miracle. Or maybe you're like the, the home uh, and home alone, the McAllisters, where uh, your family's apart for the holidays and you remember things like that. Or maybe it's the Cranks. You identify with that family, the Cranks, which where you, know, you have a, a son or a daughter coming home and so you are running around all over the place trying to get ready because uh, your family will be together during the holidays. I got to tell you, when I think about a family that uh, our family, the Gill family growing up, identified with, it's more like the Parkers. And you're probably thinking, the Parkers? Are you talking about Spider-Man? No, I'm not talking about Spider-Man. Let me give you a hint about the Parker family. It goes like this. You'll shoot your eye out. You'll shoot your eye out. Yeah, yeah a Christmas story. That's the family that uh, probably was most like uh, the Gill family growing up. Not a perfect family, but somehow Christmas would come together uh, in some way. Well, the first Christmas story is in the home of Joseph. It's the first Christmas story takes place in a family. And why is that? Well, it's through a family that God brings redemption. Look with me here in Galatians chapter 4. It says here, we were once like children, slaves to the useless rules of the world. But when the right time came, God sent His Son who was born of a woman and lived under the law. 
God did this so he could buy freedom for those who were under the law and so we could become his children. Isn't that interesting? The Paul reminds the Christian, listen, there was a time when you were in another family and you were slaves to all kinds of things, to the world basically. But then at the right time, Christmas time, God sends his, his son through a woman, through a family. And why? So you could become a child of God. You could become a part of his family. I'm going to think about this now. Out of all the families in the world, God would choose the home of Joseph. I got to thinking why. Why would he choose this particular family? I mean, if you're going to leave your kids, I know some of you young mothers, I mean, we went through this when our kids were small. If you're going to leave your kids to a babysitter, you want the right one, am I right? A good babysitter. And, uh, you know, so you, you rack your brains out trying to figure that out. Well, then, then, then some, for some of us, maybe we think about having godparents in case something were tragic were to happen to us, you know. And, 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 and you stop and think about it. What, what family would you choose if, you knew, if something were to happen to you? Who would raise your kids? I mean, and what, and what criteria, what kind of questions would you ask? I think most people would say, well, will this family have enough money? Will they be financially secure? Um, will they have a good home? Will, the, will, the, will my child have their own room, so to speak? And, and uh, what kind of education or what kind of clothes will they, will they have? And, uh, or uh, maybe will they be going on little vacations together? You know, um, these all sound good. But God doesn't make a decision to put his son with this particular family, uh, he doesn't use any of these. In fact, the Bible says he doesn't look at outward appearance, but looks at the heart. And so when God chooses the home of Joseph, he's choosing a, an ordinary, a blue-collar type of family. I mean, Joseph and Mary were common names uh, in Jewish culture. And he didn't have a lot of money. He was poor. We get the impression from the Scriptures but he was rich spiritually. And it's on this basis that God chooses this home. He chooses the, uh, the, uh, the home of Joseph because he looks at the heart and the character and the values in this family. And was it a good choice? Well, let's look at some scripture to see. It says here in Luke 2, verse 40, the little boy Jesus was developing into a mature young man full of wisdom. God was blessing him. Sounds like it was a good choice. And on top of that, he bumped down a few more verses in verses 51 and 52 of Luke. It says this, Jesus went with them to Nazareth and was obedient to them. Jesus became wiser and grew physically. People liked him and he pleased God. Hmm. How would you like that said about your children? How would you like that said about your family? See, Joseph's family provided an environment where a child would grow, where he would advance. When it says grew physically or when it talks about becoming, it's using these, these Greek words of advancing and growing and changing and developing and maturing. And look at the kind of person Jesus becomes. He respects his mother and dad. Not a lot of kids do these days, huh? But Jesus does. And he's teachable. He's always learning. He's approachable. He's not stubborn. He's not hard-headed. And he's a pleasure to be with. Other people say, man, it was a it's a pleasure to be around your son. And notice it says he pleases God. This is the kind of environment 
the, the kind of environment that Joseph provided resulted in this kind of character in Jesus. Now I want you to know this morning, God has chosen another home. He's chosen another home to raise Jesus in. He's chosen yours. Now you don't have to be perfect. No family has to be perfect. Joseph's family wasn't perfect. Didn't all have all the ducks in a row. He didn't have everything like so many families are after. But uh, though it wasn't perfect, and your family doesn't have to be perfect, it does have to be intentional. Look at this passage in Psalms 112. David wrote these words. And you think about David's family and uh, think about, here's a guy after God's own heart. And look what it says here. Blessed man, blessed woman, who fear God, who cherish and relish His commands, their children robust on the earth, and the homes of the upright. How blessed. David says those words. He says, he says what, you know, a person who cherishes and relishes God's commands, that their family is blessed. Solomon, his son, would say this later. Here's what his son would say. And I wonder if he's thinking about his dad here. Pointing your kids in the right direction. And when they're old, they won't be lost. Now, you know David didn't have a perfect family. You know David wasn't a perfect man. But he was still after God's heart. And because of that, he's intentional. And his son caught what his dad, how his dad lived. There are no recorded words of Joseph. You can't find any place in the Bible, in the New Testament, of the, the, the father of Jesus, where it says, and Joseph said this, and Joseph said that. No, there's no recorded words from his lips. But Jesus still caught something from this man. Uh, someone once said, more is, more is caught than taught in the home. And that's true. That is a true statement. And when you decide to be intentional about raising Jesus in your home, it'll bless your whole family. They catch things from your life, from your life, that, that, that help them grow and become like Christ. I noticed something else about Joseph. He had, after Christ was born, he had other sons and daughters. And two of them in particular, one in particular was named James and the other one was named Jude. I don't know if you know much about James, but James was a leader in the early church, and he wrote the book of James. And another brother, Jude, he wrote the book of Jude. And so what I want to do is, is spend some time instead of focusing, you know, you think about Christmases in the past, how we, we looked at the songs of Christmas one year, and then we looked at all uh, specific people like Herod, and we look at Mary, and a lot of times we focus on the shepherds and Mary and the manger, kind of like the one here in the back. You know, we have this image uh, when we think about the Bible account of Christmas. What I'd like to do this year is focus on the home of Jesus. So this week we're going to look at Joseph. Next week we're going to look at Mary. The week after that, before Christmas, we're going to look at Jesus. And the week after Christmas, we're going to look at the people that this family surrounded themselves with that helped raise a man like Jesus, a man like James, a man like Jude. So how do I do that? How do I raise Jesus in my home? What do we learn from Joseph? I've got two points for you this morning. Two things I notice about Joseph. First, I devote my life to pleasing God. You know, I make it my passion. Another word for passion is my desire, my hunger, my lust. It's, it's just this desire, this strong desire 
to satisfy what God wants. And Joseph had this. You know, in life, you're gonna, you, there's three people that, or three ways you can, you can live your life when it comes to pleasing. You can please others. You can have some, and I've had that desire and that hunger before where I wanted to please others. Or you may have this desire and hunger you want to please yourself. Or you can have this passion to just please God. And what I notice is the root of most of the problems I have when it comes to my passion in life is when I start trying to please other people, I get myself in all kinds of trouble. Or if I try to please myself, I'm not that fulfilled. But when I please God, when I make it my passion to please God, I find peace and joy. I find fulfillment. I, I, I find satisfaction in satisfying God, personal satisfaction. And Joseph had these traits. There's a passage I think Joseph was familiar with. It's found in Micah 6. It's a passage that we're learning here at Greater Alton. And this is what the New Century Version says. The Lord has told you, human, what is good. He has told you what He wants from you. You want to know what satisfies God? You want to know what He wants from you and I? Here they are. To do what is right to other people. Love being kind to others. And live humbly, obeying your God. I think Joseph knew this. I think he'd heard it read at temple. I think he heard it quoted in his home. I think he heard prayers like this. Prayers to, Lord, help me be this kind of person that satisfies you. That you want this, help me treat others right. To be kind with other people. To live in a humble life. To be a humble person and to always obey you. And I believe not only Joseph heard that, he saw that, and he himself applied those things. How do you know that, Tim? Well, let's look at some passages about Joseph. Here's the account, Matthew 1. This is how the birth of Jesus, the, of the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before, he came, before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a, look at this, was a faithful man of the law, and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Now, if you know anything about Jewish marriage, you know this, okay? And that is that uh, you, you, they arranged your marriage when you were kids. When you were little bitty kids, they would arrange with another family, okay, my son's going to marry your daughter. And then when they became of age... They would go through a thing called betrothal, which is kind of like our engagement. So for a year, through this betrothal for a year, and it would be a binding contract, it would be a binding vow that you're going to marry after one year. And then after a year, the husband, the, the bride and the groom would come together and, and he would take her home and they would be married. They'd be considered uh, married. Unlike uh, today where you get to choose... We leave it up to each individual to choose who they're going to marry. And we call engagement, we refer to them as a fiancé or the person we're going to marry. Um, in Jewish culture, during engagement, during betrothal, they referred to each other as husband and wife because it was a lock, even though they weren't together and even though they didn't sleep together. Well, it's during this year, this year before they're officially married, that Joseph begins to notice something about Mary. She's starting to show, and he realizes she's pregnant. Now the Bible, this passage we just looked at, notice it's, it, that uh, it talks about the character of Joseph. Other translations say this about Joseph. 
not only was he devoted to the law, but he was also a, a just man, as one, one translation will say, or a righteous man, or a faithful man, or a good man. The Living Bible says he, had a stern, he was a man of stern principle. And he knew when he saw Mary that he wasn't the father of that child. Because Joseph was a man of integrity. And he, he believed in sexual purity. Unlike today, where sexual purity is about throwing out the window. Am I right? It was important to him. And because it was important to him, uh, he knew this wasn't his baby. And he wasn't in, and, and by the way, he wasn't, it wasn't about being pleased, pleasing himself. And he could have pleased himself and slept with Mary. He goes, no, I'm not going to do that. I want to be an upright, moral, pure man. And he, sought to, he knew that would please God. And he sought to please God in that way. Now, how is he able to do that? I think it's because before he became Mary's man, he decided to be God's man. In other words, Joe would say, Joseph would say to himself, before I'm going to lead my home, God is going to lead me. That's what his passion was. Here, look in Luke 2 here. Look and notice something in Luke 2. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, this is about eight days after Jesus was born, Jesus, uh, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Look what it says. As, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord. And after the sacrifice, in keeping with what is said in the Lord, the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two pigeons. I want you to see something here, okay? What matters to God matters to Joseph down to the details. I want to ask you a question. What do you want? What do you want? What do you really, really want? What do you really hunger for? What do you really, you have this urge for, this aching desire that you want to have? And, uh, if you're trying to figure out how to answer that question, just look at how you spend your time, how you use your talents, and what you're doing with the treasures in life. And that'll tell you what your biggest passion is. See, the kind of home that raises Jesus is passionate about pleasing God. And that God's will and His principles and even His plans are more important. They're more important than mine. And what gives God pleasure takes priority over my preference. And when there's a problem, when there's a decision to be made, your family sees you going to God first. Not whining, not crying, not complaining, not trying, to, not trying to schmooze something or manipulate something or cheat in some way. No, you, I want to go to God and figure out what to do here. You see, that's so important. I mean, ask yourself, the rest of my family, what is the, what is the passion they see? What, is, what do they see as most important? Because... I want to tell you something. Your family catches more from your life than from your lecture. They really do. I listen to families all the time. I listen to parents go, I don't understand why my kids act the way they do. Well, a big part of it has nothing to do with you didn't give the lectures and you didn't give the talks like when you were supposed to. Some of it is they've just basically, they have caught your heart. They've caught your values. 
not just your mannerisms. Yeah, they catch our mannerisms, but they catch our values. They catch what's passionate about us. I heard somebody say this to me just a couple of weeks ago. James Lampley, he's the preacher over at Godfrey. He said this to me. Tim, I'm, I read this some time ago. Leadership inspires, but passion is contagious. And yeah, you might lead your, and I want you to know, you might lead your family in some way, whether you're mother or father, or you influence your family as a child, or as an aunt or uncle, or as a grandparent. I got news for you. You know, that will inspire Leadership, yes, but what you're really passionate about is what you're, what the rest of your family, your children, your grandchildren, your nieces and nephews, your aunts and uncles, even your mother and father, they catch that passion from you. It has a big impact. I'm going to tell you personally, my two sons have made a big impact on me. When they're passionate, I, ca- I catch what they got. They have an impact on me. So it doesn't work just from mom and dad to the kids. It works both ways. What are you passionate, really passionate about? Joseph was just, he ached to please God down to the details. And he continued to do that in this home. Here's number two. I live a life of obedience to God. Is Joseph disappointed? I look at this. When he sees Mary showing, he realizes she's pregnant. Is he disappointed? Sure. Is he devastated? Oh, wouldn't, wouldn't you be? Wouldn't you be bothered? And he's ready to break this engagement off. He's ready to break it off. I mean, he has the right to. The law says he can do that. In fact, Mary could be stoned. She could be shamed and stoned. She could be ostracized, rejected by the community for what's happened. But before Joseph does anything, the Bible says he's thinking of something, but he decides to sleep on it. And here in Matthew chapter 1, Look what happens. But after he had considered this, it says, An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. He says, don't be afraid to do this. Now, why would you be afraid? Because what it looked like, Joseph must have slept with her. Or she's that kooky woman that thinks that, that God gave her this baby and he went ahead and married her. What are people going to think? Well, see, Joseph isn't concerned about what people think. He's not concerned. He's not a people pleaser. He's not even concerned about himself here. What we find out is he sets himself aside. He sets what other people are going to think aside. He is concerned about what God thinks he should do. He says, don't be afraid to take her home because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he'll save the people from their sins. God challenges Joseph's plans. And what I love about this is Joseph's open to changing them. He's open to what God has to say. He even trusts God's plans over his own. Look at this next passage in Matthew 1. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him. And he took Mary home as his wife. He did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son. And he gave him the name Jesus. What do we see here? When he woke up, he did what God commanded. He immediately took her home. Best time to start obeying God is now. And what he, what's he do? He takes her home and he doesn't even sleep with her until after Jesus is born. He's not about pleasing himself, see? He's about pleasing God. And he, do, he gives him the name Jesus just like he was told to do. 
Now, I noticed something about Joseph here. He has something in common with that Joseph in the Old Testament, you know, one of the sons of Jacob. He has lots of dreams. In fact, he has four dreams during this Christmas story. Never noticed it before. Of course, he has this dream. He does what he, it says. And by the way, he has a second dream. He says, hey, listen, Herod's trying to, going to try to kill Jesus, so you need to get out of here. You need to go to Egypt. And it says he packed up that night and they, got, and they, they left town. And then while he's in Egypt, after about a, a, a while, Herod dies. He has another dream that says, and the Lord tells him, you need to come back home. And so he comes back home. And on his way home, he finds out Herod's son is in charge. And so he's a little, a little disturbed by that. And so he has another dream, a fourth dream that says, hey, I'll tell you what, don't live where you, don't return home home, go to Nazareth. And each time, each one of these dreams, it says, and this was happened so that what was written would be fulfilled. Each dream ends with that. And this happened so that this, what God had said, would be fulfilled about Jesus. Obedience fulfills what God says. I want you to think about that. Everything that God says about Jesus is being fulfilled in his home. And I just, I'm just i trying to imagine, what is God saying to your family? What, is, what has God been trying to say to your children? What kind of plans does God have for your family, for your niece, your nephew, your grandkids? Well, let me tell you, obedience is the key to seeing those things fulfilled. I mean, uh, Joseph is is sacrificial here. He doesn't sleep with her. I mean, you think about, man, that's a lot of willpower. It's not willpower on Joseph's part. It's obedience that, that brings power into God's will. And because he obeys, the power of God helps him do the right thing, the best thing. And see, the habit, the habit of obedience in your life and my life has a tremendous impact on our family. Look again, look at Luke 2. This is later on. After doing everything the Lord's teaching required, it says, Joseph and Mary returned to their hometown of Nazareth in Galilee. And look at what happens. The child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom and God's favor was on him. It's because Joseph set the tone for his home. That he was going to model and be obedient to God to the detail. You know, I used to think, and I've had some conversations this week with some people, I used to think that Joseph was kind of like a proxy dad or a stepdad kind of a thing. You know, he's there for image. Um, you know, Jesus is born and, and he's there to kind of make sure he, he has something to eat and God will take care of the rest. The, you know, the real dad will take care of the rest, so to speak. I could just imagine. You know, I used to think like this, you know, uh, you know, maybe Joseph's sitting around talking to some buddies and, uh, you know, Jesus is about two years old now and and uh, so where's your boy at? Uh, aren't you supposed to be watching him? Uh, no, nah, not today. I mean, he's out doing something. Aren't you a little afraid? Oh, no, he's God's son. He can walk on water. He can read people's minds. He can strike them blind. He can take care of himself. And yet when you read the story about Jesus and his home, it was nothing like that. Nothing like that at all. No, Joseph was personally involved in developing the Son of God. And, it, and he took that personal, personal, intentional life by obeying God himself and modeling that for his son. 
Look here. Jesus is now 12 years old, Luke 2. When Jesus was 12 years old, the Bible says, he accompanied his parents to Jerusalem for the annual Passover festival, which they attended each year. You know, G G uh, Joseph just keeps on modeling for his family. Let's obey the Lord. Let's do what the Lord says. Let's fulfill what he wants us to do. And it would be years later. Jesus is an adult now. We don't even know where Joseph is, but it's years later you see the influence of Joseph in this man's life. Because as Jesus is teaching one time, he's teaching in, in Luke chapter 11, and as he's teaching, he's talking about this idea of, of uh, how God can change you. Kind of like when um, you clean a house and you get rid of some things out of the house, or you get rid of a person, a, a bad person house, and he goes, and then you fill it with good things. And he says, look, following God is not just, it's not enough just to get rid of bad habits. He's really teaching here. But you need, to you need to fill yourself up with good habits, His habits, His Word, and so much that it crowds out any chance of any bad habits returning. And as He tells this, and as He preaches this, a woman in the crowd starts shouting these words. She says, oh, what a blessing. Look what she says. Oh, what a blessing for a woman to have brought you into the world and nursed you. He's, she's saying, man, what a family you must have had. And your mother must be so proud of you, like the proverb teaches, you know, uh, that a that obedient son, you know, gives joy to the father, but but a but a disobedient child disgraces the mother. Well, not Jesus, man! You what a what an incredible home you must have had, and she must be so proud of you, and you have been so blessed, and she's so blessed. And he already said, look, look what he says. He says yes, he agrees, but a far greater blessing to hear the Word of God and to obey it. He says, yes, I'm fortunate to have a family, the family I have. But can I tell you something? Let me tell you why I'm so fortunate. Because I saw firsthand God bless obedience in my home. I saw my dad and my mom make sacrifices. I saw my mom and dad make crucial choices I heard about them, God telling them to leave, and in the middle of the night, packing up to save me, to take care of me, to protect me, so I could fulfill what God had to say. I, I just think that that's, that's the home that Jesus lived in. He saw this, and He caught this from the environment of, of the home of Joseph. And when I, and I think about now, when I think about this idea that Joseph wasn't a proxy dad, he wasn't a proxy parent, that, that he was involved, that God used him to shape Jesus. Somebody had to. I think about the time when Jesus is in the garden praying. And he prays that prayer. Remember, he's wrestling with the will of God. Just like Joseph is wrestling, his dad wrestled with the will of God. He's wrestling with the will of God. And I just imagine for a minute that this prayer, when he prays this prayer, it's not the first time he's heard it. When he says, not my will, but yours be done. You see, that prayer came from... Where did, the, where, did, where did the maturity and the focus, the spiritual focus come from that Jesus had? Oh, it was miraculously given to Him by the Holy Spirit. I'm not denying that uh, that's possible. Yeah. But you can't deny that it was the home that God chose that had this impact on this on, on Jesus. So let me ask you this morning, 
Where's your passion? Let me ask you this morning, what family do you want to identify with? How important will obedience to God be in your home? How important will it be in your life? There's a guy named Joshua in the Old Testament. And by the way, the, the name Joshua and the name Jesus mean the same thing, one who saves. And look what Joshua says to the Israelites. As they're getting ready to enter the promised land, he tells them, you're going to have to make a choice. Every family has to make a choice, he's telling them. And he says, choose right now, here in Joshua 24. Choose right now. He goes, as but, but my family and I, are going to worship and obey God. He says, as for me and my house, that's what the NIV says, we're going to serve the Lord. We even sing a song, don't we? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua says, it's going to start with me and my family. We're going to have this family that has this passion to worship God, that it's that not things, not our goals, not our purpose, but we're going to look to God we're going to obey God. That's what my family is going to be like. And I pray that you want your family to do the same thing. How do I get there? Let me ask you to do something daring today. Make a daring choice today. Make the choice that Joshua just said, just made here. You know, as for me and my house, my family and I, we're going to worship and obey God. Let me tell you, when you do that, it's going to bless your home. You say, well, I'm a kid. I'm a teenager. You know, I'm a young, young woman. I'm a young man, you know, uh, or I, 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 I don't have a family. It's never too early. Remember, Joseph became God's man before he became Mary's man. You want one incredible, let me tell you something. As somebody who's done a lot of marriage counseling, the greatest counseling preparation that you can bring to your marriage, the greatest thing you could do is make a decision to be fully committed to God. I can, I've done lots of counseling for lots of couples. I don't, sometimes I don't even know if, it, if it's really done any good, but I can tell you which couples are going to make it and which families are going to make it. It's the ones that decide today, they choose now, they choose immediately, we're going to follow the Lord. And I'm saying it's never too, never too early. If I'm talking to, if you're, if you're 12 years old, let me tell you, decide now you're going to be God's man, God's woman. If you're in high school, not a girlfriend in sight, not a boyfriend in sight. Hey, choose now. Before you, before you become a husband and a wife, a mother and a father, choose now. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be passionate about pleasing God. I'm going to obey the Lord. Be God's man. Be God's woman before you're anybody else's. You say, well, it's too late for me. My, Tim, you know, my kids, you know, they've all grown up and they're gone and man, some of them are a mess. Can I tell you that's never too late to choose to worship God and obey Him. My mother still has influence on me. And if she's seeing this tape, Mom, you still have impact on me. And whenever you're passionate about God, whenever you obey God, you know what that does to me? That ur- I'm 63. I'm not going to tell everybody your age, Mom. I'm 63, but I'm going to tell you, as a 63-year-old son, you have that big impact on me still. And I'm, I'm saying to you, if you've got... If you have kids that aren't doing like 
And you, you remember that verse we just read of, of a while back at the beginning, you know, if you point a child the way he should go when he's old, he won't depart. You say, I don't know if that's true, Tim. I, I, I don't know if that'll work. I'll tell you this. You keep pointing. You just persevere and keep pointing. You keep praying. You keep pointing. And you let God deal with the rest of that. That's a promise in the Bible. And, you know, as long as they got a breath, as long as they got air to breathe, they're going to, there's a chance, and there's a good chance, if you keep pointing, that they're going to remember the Lord. All I'm saying is it's never too early. It's never too late. And if you've got kids right now, start now by making this. Well, how does that, what does that look like, Tim? Well, it may be just a simp, some simple choices. I'm going to start praying with my family. But I, I'm going to start, start thinking about what God would want me to do rather than just thinking what's financially best or or what would help me personally, but think about what would God want me to do? I want to have in my mind the things of the kingdom and not of men. Let me encourage you to make that commitment today. Because when you do, you raise Jesus in your home. You, you promote and advance the character of God in your home. Let's pray. Father, thank you for thank you for the holidays, Father. I know sometimes the holidays uh, can be a, a mixed bag for people. But Father, I know there's, uh, for many of us here, uh, the holidays do bring us together as a family. They remind us of, about, of, of our family, the importance of our family. And Father, as, as um, we pray, we pray that we think about this very first family, that we learn from this very first family um, that we read about in the Bible. The, the home that you chose, Father, help us be encouraged to know it, that we don't have to be perfect. We don't have to be rich. We don't have to have all the breaks going our way. Father, we, uh, we know, we know this is true. When we get serious about following you and we're passionate about pleasing you, that the world's going to push back. Jesus was being raised in a radically evil world. And Father Joseph and Mary, they had all kinds of choices. They had to make, they had, and there were some tough ones and some hard ones. And Father, we pray that you'll give us the courage and the faith and, and, and the, the ability to make, sometimes have to make, the challenging choices you put for us, before us. So there are families in this I mean, this screwed up world, Father, that we can bring up godly kids. I know, I know some families right now that really want their kids to be godly. And Father, we know that that starts when mom and dad will be godly. And so as a, as a dad, as a grandfather, Father, I pray you help me be a godly man. As an uncle, help me be a godly man. And Father, I know that everybody else is praying the same thing, uh, whether they're a man or a woman, the aunt, uncle, grandmother, even an older brother. Father, we pray. I pray as an older brother, as a younger brother, help me be a godly man. Help me be influential in my family still. Father, I think about things that I do, things that I, that I practice, but things that I think that need to change. Father, I pray we'll, we'll all change. Let this home of Jesus encourage us as not only to um, make it, uh, as we come together during the holidays, uh, enjoy our family, 
But Father, help us influence our family to be, to be this, this great, great place, this source, this oasis, and this cesspool of, of this world. Help us change, Father. Help all of us decide now we're going to be the kind of family member that brings out the best, that raises Jesus. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.